Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy here with my first cup of coffee. Mm. <laughs> Let's see, today is Tuesday, February 12th. Closing in on Valentine's Day, like we care. You know, it's so funny now that I am in this relationship of 28 years now valentine's day holds very little interest for me or meaning it does not feel like a day to celebrate our love and relationship whereas in my youth when i was single and longing valentine's day was so fraught and so filled with um unhappiness and longing and wishing so that it feels like it's almost become this holiday that's not so much about celebrating love as um, tormenting the people who have not yet found it it's just a reminder that they don't have it whereas the people who do have it are just are like eh, don't care about valentine's day so much uh, one of those great ironies that my copy editor would probably tell me is not truly ironic. She won't ever let me use the word ironic. We all know that what Alanis Morissette thought was ironic is not, but other than that, it's like what is truly ironic, especially when the definition is something like to say one thing and mean another. It's like, well, <laughs> who doesn't do that? So, yesterday, I'm feeling much better today. That might have just been something I ate that made me produce all that mucus. Some fried foods will do that sometimes. And we had some chicken parmesan the night before, the Trader Joe's kind. I think it just didn't necessarily... Wasn't clean eating, as a friend of mine puts it. Um... So anyway, I, I got in the groove and I got my 3,000 words, a little over 3,000 words yesterday. Got them all before one. So that was great. That's making a huge difference for me to really try not to dork around. I've really moved up my start time. Uh, my average start time to begin writing was coming in at usually around 1040 and sometimes even later. Um uh, and now my average start time is around 8.30. And those extra two hours make a huge amount of difference for how I feel. How I feel about the work and what I, um, how fast I write and how clean it feels. So this is one of those things, you know, I, I think we all have these things that we have to constantly rediscover in our lives for whatever reason. You know, it's like, yes, this is the thing that works for me. And I, I keep falling away from it, but this is the thing that does work. And so definitely getting my words done first thing in the morning is the thing that works for me. Uh, trying not looking at email at all until I'm completely done with workout makes a big difference. And, you know, that's one of those things that uh, the people... You know, like when they do the interviews with the highly successful 
a lot of them say that, that they do not begin their day with email, that they save email for later in the day and do first thing in the day, they work on the project that they really want to work on. And I think that that's a really interesting thing to note because I was noticing this in myself yesterday, that I do have one email address that comes to my phone. And only a few people have it. You know, it's like stuff from my agent or stuff from my assistant. It's from a few friends. It's it's really mostly stuff that I need to look at right away. That's important. Um, Which, of course, is, again, a relative measure. You know, if my agent really needs me, she'll call. And I have her on emergency breakthrough. So, you know, that's mostly like if it's good news and I want to hear it right away. Or she's got a, sometimes there's a fast turnaround. But really, very rarely is there anything that's that urgent. I remember um, <laughs> a long time ago, back in the days of, before we had voicemail, we had an answering machine in our house. And we, um, Mike, my stepson Mike was living was with us then, and he was like 12 or 13. And um, his friends, particularly girls, would call him in the middle of the night, you know, and it was a landline, called the house phone in the middle of the night. And he would be sleeping. He didn't have a phone in his room. So we would silence the phone at night and let the answering machine pick it up. So one night, he wasn't even David's boss. He was like a senior guy in the lab where David worked. He apparently tried to call several times in a row at like 3 in the morning because he lived on a ranch outside of town and he had forgotten to move the game and fish vehicle from the university lot that was going to be paved starting at 6 a.m. And, you know, they'd had like these signs saying, you must go move these, you know, have these vehicles moved by this time or they'll be towed and all of this. And so he woke up in the middle of the night remembering that he didn't do this. So he called David to get up and go do this. Only we didn't pick up our phone, right? And so he ended up having to drive into town and do it, which, you know, worked out just fine because it was his fault and his problem. And David didn't need to, even if it was a shorter drive, didn't need to be the one to have to make up for this guy's problem. But this guy was just furious and yelling at David, why didn't you answer your phone? I called like five times, which we knew by then because in the morning we're like, what are all these messages on the answering machine? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and David said, we don't answer our phone at night. We, we turn it, you know, turn off the ringer and don't answer our phone at night. And this guy's like, well, what happens if there's a family emergency? What if somebody dies? And David said, well, they'd still be dead in the morning. <laughs> Which really torqued this guy off. But, you know, there's a certain truth to that. It's uh, how many things in our lives are truly emergencies. You know, we've become accustomed to this idea that we must be reached at every moment possible. And we're used to doing things on a very fast turnaround. But how often really is it something that has to be acted on right right away? You know, like even if there is 
a death in the family or an illness or injury with people, if they're calling to tell you about it, they, um, sounds like David's coming home. You know, if they call to tell you about it, what are you going to do at two in the morning? You know, are you going to go over there right away? And then what can you do? You know, why not wait till morning? You know, maybe you have to arrange plane tickets. You can arrange them in the morning. So it's an, an interesting question. And one thing I noticed, going back to my point, I saw an email on my phone yesterday from a gal that I'm, one of my author friends that I was working on a project with, and she asked me a question. And I was very tempted to reply to her question right then because I knew the answer and I wanted to give her the answer. And... Hi, my dear. I'm doing my podcast And I think receiving an email like that creates a sense of obligation. You can just leave it open. That's all right. He was going to close my office door for me. So it's a weird thing how it creates a sense of obligation. It creates this feeling that you have to reply. This email is there, somebody's asking you a question, and you feel this, this impetus, this nudge to answer the question. So I think that's part of why. I think it's something in particular about email, and I think it's the fast turnaround, because those of us who remember the days where everything was on paper, I remember working with uh, this one boss that I had that he Complaint. It was right when email, it was early 90s, right when email was really becoming a thing. And he would complain that it used to be when you would reply to someone, if somebody sent you a letter and you would reply to them, then you could count count on being free of the project for like a week because it would take several days for your letter to get to them. And then even if they responded right away, several days for it to come back to you. And so he said he used to be able to, and he was older than I was by a fair amount. And he said he he used to be able to pace his projects. He used to be able to pace what he was doing better because he could count on that rhythm, you know, reply to this person and then have a week clear to work on other things. And email really did hugely change that because email created this cycle where, and he was, I remember the day he was complaining about it because I'd asked him on an email reply. I'd written the reply and sent it. And the person had answered within a few minutes. And I came back with more questions. You know, and he was really grumpy about it. He was like, why do I, Why am I already having to think about this again? Once again, not thinking about the thing that he wanted to be working on. So all of this is a long way of saying that I think that it's perfectly fine to put email to answering it like once a day, which I don't do, but I would like to try to get to that point. Once I start answering it, then I sort of compulsively want to keep answering it. Uh, Really, I need to try to work on a project where I just open it once a day, you know, because it used to be we'd get mail delivery once a day, right? 
And if people truly have something urgent, there are faster ways to reach us, right? So, something to to consider. The other thing I'm thinking about is with my um, word counts going better and I and feeling good. I mean, I, I know I've said this many times, but that this 3,000 words a day is very sustainable for me. Uh, I still feel good when I'm done. I'm not so depleted that I can't work on other business. Um, I feel ready to go the next day. And this is something that I have figured out over the course of what, how low these many years that I have been writing. I think that I'm trying to think of how I want to put this. So I saw this. I know there are several writers like this that are always talking about increasing their word counts and making their word counts higher and higher and faster and faster. And I think that it is a huge amount of ego. Being a writer, the whole writing thing, and and this is probably true of all kinds of projects, you know, like people get their egos involved in how fast and how well they can do something. And I think writing is unusual in that it's so difficult to pinpoint whether or not you're doing well. There's so many different metrics. It's like, well, do readers love your books? Or are you making lots of money? Or are you hitting lists? Or are you getting awards? Or are you getting good critical reviews? Or do your fellow authors think you're awesome? Um, Very few writers hit every one of those categories. You know, usually you're doing well if you've got one. Well, I think some people really get invested in writing very, very fast and producing a lot. Because with the current Amazon algorithm, if you can turn out a whole lot of books, um, you're more likely to sell them. You're more, especially with Kindle Unlimited, you're more likely to get those page reads. Um, and so it's one career model. It's really not a career model. I'm hugely fond of. And I know I'm regarded as being a more productive writer. But, you know, like if you compare my very sustainable 3,000 words a day for five days a week, these are people talking about doing eight and 10,000 words a day um, every day or six days a week. So, you know, it's a, it's a huge level up of production. And then there are other writers who regard me as being a very fast writer. And I'm glad that I can write at the speed that I do um, and still maintain the quality that I want. And I have friends who write much more slowly than I do. And sometimes they say, um, say things to me like, good thing that they loved me so much, otherwise they would hate me for <laughs> writing faster than they do. And I understand what they mean because, you know, I feel jealousy over things that, you know, awards or accolades or praise that they get. So, you know, it is a good thing that I love them or it would bother me more. You know, it's a, you love a person so you're happy because they're happy. 
or getting good things or able to do good things. But at the same time, you always end up at that place where you're like, why am I not able to write faster? And so all of this is coming around, too, that I think that there's a real problem with people who are exhorting, bragging about their writing speed and exhorting other writers to write faster. And I really hope that I don't do this because I think what you really do is you really are harshing someone else's creative process. And that's a terrible thing to do to another person. Uh, The creative process is a fragile thing that needs to be nourished. And I know that I probably come off sometimes as not being terribly respectful of people's process because I do say things like, I think you need to develop a writing habit. And one way to do it is to write every day. And some people regard that as a damaging thing to say. And that's not my meaning. Um, well, now I hear Sparky starting up in the other room. Well, yeah, 8 o'clock, I moved his timing up. All right, I'm going to create a little bit of noise here. We'll see if I can avoid it, and I will close my door. <coughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I'll have to move him to start up a little bit later. David gets annoyed by him. So I try to, uh, I'm trying to find a time when he's not here for Sparky to run. Um, Otherwise, I left my room out, right? So anyway, I think um, I really want to be aware of how I phrase things because anytime you impose, oh, well, you should be able to do this. You should be able to write faster. You know, you should do like I am. Look how cool I am because I can do this thing this way and you can't. Which is the person who set me off. That's really essentially what they were saying. Um, They referred to themselves as with a metaphor that I found really annoying that they, that implied that they thought that they were really um, fabulous sleek and fast and expensive um, was the thing that they compared themselves to. You know, and it's like, well, you know, that's great if that pumps up your own ego. Well, you know, happy for you if that makes you feel good about your writing, feel good about what you're doing. But I'm, I truly believe that's entirely possible to support a thing, to feel good about what you're doing without criticizing what someone else is doing. And there's very often an implicit criticism. Uh, You know, it's the, well, why can't you do this thing? Why, you know, or that you could, but you're just too lazy and see how awesome I am. And I think this applies to many, many things in life that we just need to be kinder to each other and... Um, do our own thing, talk about what works well for us without without throwing out that gauntlet that someone else could be doing better if only they were more like us. So, thus endeth the sermon. Um, I'm going to get to work, keep my eyes on my own work, get my own work count done, and I will, yeah, I'll probably blog tomorrow. We'll see. I might podcast tomorrow. 
You never know. It'll be a surprise. It's a mystery. Talk to you all later. Bye-bye.